boysenberry boys, and gourd girlies. Consume a clutch of crunchy carrots, dig for the devious daikon. And is that a water chestnut in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? Because it's time to tomatillo tall to me. Welcome back, I am Omen Thomas Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are the Momes Feckless. And this, my sweet seedlings, is Talk Tull to Me. A micronutrient-rich garden party in the allotment of Prog Rock, in which Napa Cabbage Nick and Okra Omen, because I make your gumbo sticky, <laughs> will tend to and taste the product of each and every track that rice bean rock band Jethro Tull has ever drilled into our fertile crescents. We will salivate over Scott Hammond's snow peas, burn our tongues on John O'Hara's horseradish, let the juice of David Goodyear's tasty grapes dribble down our chins, and prostrate ourselves before the prodigious girth of Joe Parrish's papaya. And if we can keep our knees clean and our thumbs green, we may finally be able to have our fields plowed by the great gardener of Glissandi, the fecund flute fertilizer, the hermeated hemiola, the tympanic turnip farmer, the dobberlocks of the diminuendo, Ian Asparagus Tip Anderson. That was a rough one, Nick. I almost artichoked trying to get all that out. You wrote that down too, didn't you? I, I'll never tell. <laughs> <laughs> What's a dab a dabberlock? Is a dabber, that what you said? A dabberlock is dabberlock. a is a sea green. It's an edible seaweed. I think we need more seaweed in our lives. I think we need more dabberlocks. Just in general. Beware the dabberlock, my son. <laughs> For rich in nitrogen it is. I, I'm so excited to talk with you, Nick, my good friend. Yes. About the band Jethro Tull and the works thereof this week on another episode of our podcast. I as well am too. There is a agricultural theme to today's episode, and because of that, Surely. I shall sup upon the luscious golden barley. Mm. The golden uh, barley of Ath Athletic Brewing Company. Yeah, so good. Not a sponsor yet. Because we're advertising it for free. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why would we sponsor you <laughs> in the last three years you've been talking about it for free? Nick, speaking of for free, what are we talking about? What is the song to which we are listening this very day? This very day, we will listen to and then talk about Cornucopia, track number nine off of the 2023 release, Rockaflute. After this episode, we are officially three quarters of the way through this album. We have a month left of this, this album. Nine, of course, being a sacred number to the Norse, and nine being the number of this song to which we will listen. Nick, why don't we grow our corn ears so that we can take a listen to this song? Put our corn in our headphones. Every note a kernel.
Nick. Omen. That was Cornucopia. What a dreamlike four minutes that was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thoughts automatic off the bat. Feelings about the song. My first feelings of this song from listening to the album, like from the go, like start to finish the very first time when we got it was, oh, this is my favorite song. This will be my favorite song off of this album. Mm -hmm. And it, it holds up. It's very sweet. It's very tender, very lovely. It's a very different sound from the rest of this album, but it still manages to fit. That was my initial feeling. What were you thinking when you, when you first heard? Yeah, I, to me, this stands out like you observed. It's very different than the rest of the album. And I think that in the narrative, not necessarily the, the logical narrative that we're following with this album, but the emotional journey of this album, mm. this, this song feels like a little respite. Yeah. A stop in Rivendell before the journey on to Mount Doom. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like it's taking a breath. It really feels peaceful, gentle, sweet. There's a sweetness about it. Yeah. I wrote the sweetest, slowest, softest song off of the album. Hands down, by far. This also has, I think, the most marked musical difference between the white text and the pink text. The, the traditional text from interpretation and Ian's gloss on the subject that we've talked about a lot of times. Yeah. There's a really distinct shift musically in this song that we that we don't necessarily hear in, in a lot of the other songs where, you know, there are multiple themes that are kind of juggling and get incorporated. This one, it's like, and here's the point, shoop, two minute, 30 seconds. Now we're going to, now we're going to change up the tempo and everything. Yeah. It's not like they rip into the heavy metal that we've been hearing up until this point, but yeah, the, the tempo drastically changes and it's almost like, it's almost like it's an afterthought. It's like, oh, we only have 30 seconds left on this track. <laughs> I need to tell you these things. Hang on. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, and that coupled with the abruptness of the end. Oh, straight out. Yeah. The last minute of this song gives me echoes of heavy horses in the best possible way. Hmm. That rapid pace, the kind of the theme of it, and mm -hmm. also that the farmer's life we lie as one. Gone. Oh, the quit. Yeah. It's almost like Mouse Police. Yes, exactly. It's, yeah. It reminds me of Mouse Police. The mouse speaks the mouse speaks the mouse. Going back even to Songs from the Wood. The missile thrust is coming, Jack. Oh, turn out the light. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack in the green. Oh, the missile thrust is coming, Jack. Turn out the light. It's an interesting choice that he creates this big dreamscape, and then instead of letting it go on and on and on, he just chump. Yeah. It's almost like you get dunked in cold water. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting choice. It's an interesting sound because it doesn't really fit with the idea of the seasons, you know, or the growing, growing cycles, you know, because those have an ebb and a flow and it's a little more gentle than like, we're done. Well, do you disagree? In, you look like you, you disagree. I, I that's just, that's my face. Thanks for pointing that oh, out, Vic. It's disagreeable. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I think that, you know, you're totally right. You, you could say that we get some of that ebb and flow of the seasons in that first section. Right. Yeah. But I think that with that quick cutoff, I almost imagine something like the scythe going through the mm. wheat, going through the barley. From the perspective of the barley, okay. it is a very sudden transition. Yeah. Okay. I get that. 
Yeah, the, the harvesting, the quick ending of the life of the vegetable, the vegetal matter. Yeah. Yeah. And also from the human perspective, how many times have we experienced like, oh, summer is going to go on forever. Oh my gosh. Yay. Whoa. It's, it's, it's September 15th. Like when, when did that happen? Oh, I have to put on a sweater. Do you think that was the case for the Vikings? I do actually, because when you get so far north, mm. the growing season is so short. That's valid. Yeah. That's actually something I was excited to, to kind of talk about here. And the the importance of an agricultural goddess or the role of an agricultural goddess in a society that lives so far north. Yes, the days during that growing season are long, but the growing season itself is so brief. And then it's back to nine more months mm -hmm. of winter. So anything you can grow in that time, you have to get the maximum value out of. The idea of the goddess of the crop of the life is hope. It's all about hope. Very much. You know, there's a line... We'll talk obviously more about the text of the song later, but the line, I make for them a bounty to reward the pains of honest men, ask only for their loyal faith in planting seeds to sprout again. I make for them a bounty to reward the pains of honest men, ask only for their loyal faith. In planting seeds to sprout again. Okay, there's the religious goddess component to that, but there's also the reality of farming at that time in history, yeah. which is that if you had a great harvest, okay, fantastic. If you had a bad harvest, it was made worse by the fact that you have to put aside a certain poundage of that seed yeah. for next year. Right. And so what that might mean is you get almost nothing out of it or you choose to eat it and then you're really screwed because you have no seeds for the next year. Right. So that sacrifice of giving back to next year's harvest is, is a real thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As sweet and soft as it is, there's like a harsh reality to this song a little bit. That's what that quick cut off the end reminds me of. Mm -hmm. why, why I think that's a tasteful interesting choice that makes the song more complex than just summer is great isn't it yeah and she had fun 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 till her daddy took the t-bird away i was gonna say beastie boys beach boys <laughs> i think it's the beach boys yeah <laughs> not the beastie boys i would love to hear their version of that song though okay I heard that the Beastie Boys and Ian Anderson were doing a collaboration, yeah. a, a collab. So is it Ian Anderson featuring the Beastie Boys or the Beastie Boys featuring Ian Anderson? Yeah, that's that's going to be the mystery of it. Or are, are they a super group? I, yeah, they're called Eggnog. <laughs> I was going to say Beastie Boy, but uh, <laughs> I like Eggnog. Or Boy Beastie. We're getting a little too close about the complaint that we're going to read about shortly, Roman, so... <laughs> Oh, wait, the, yep, the censors have notified me. We're getting too close to making certain people uncomfortable. I want to go back to the music here. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The very beginning, we are greeted with the sounds of gorgeous piano. Amazing key work from your friend and mine, John O'Hara, tickling the ivory. Not literally, because that would be murder of animals, but tickling the, the keys. Synthetic ivory. Yeah, 
we have the flute coming in. We have something that sounds very much like a harp. Something in there, yeah. And it's hard to know if that is a synthesizer on a harp setting or if they brought in a harpist or if it's a guitar being played in a very skillful way. There is acoustic in there, I think, at that point. I wonder if that's what you're hearing. I wonder if that's what I'm hearing. I wonder if we're hearing the same thing. I think we're hearing the same thing, and I think I interpreted it as a harp. A harp, a harp-like guitar. A harp-like guitar. A harpy yeah. guitar. <laughs> I would follow that guitar into the sea and die <laughs> for it. There are some lovely synth swellings mm -hmm. underpinning all of it. The theme is gorgeous. Reasons for waiting, ladies and gentlemen. That is so reminiscent to me yes. of reasons for waiting. Yes, thank you for clocking that, because I was like, this does remind me of something, yeah. but I, I couldn't put a name on it. It's just that first phrase, and it gets repeated a couple of times, but it is reasons for waiting. It is in there. It's spot on. Let's hear Cornucopia. Let's hear reasons for waiting. Okay. Yeah, there it is. Very good ear, Nick. Thank you. I know. You have a suppository of all the riffs of Jethro Tull inside you. You get a pass because that's medical. That's okay. <laughs> I am a doctor. <laughs> so we get nearly halfway in this song before Ian even starts singing. I know. I, at some point, I was like, wait a minute, is that is this an instrumental? Then I was like looking at the lyrics and like, no, I, I know it mustn't be. Yeah. The very first time I heard it, I thought it was going to be instrumental. And let me tell you, I would not be upset if this were an instrumental. Nor would I. Yeah. But yeah, he comes in about mm, a third to a half of the way through. He hits some high notes in here. This one, I think it was the last episode where he was like really comfortably hitting the high notes. We got a little bit of a stretch on this one, I think. It's a little bit of a strain, but it's because he's being so sweet and soft. He did, He can't punch behind it, you know? You can't screlt it out. Yeah. My sister shines the happy throng to dance and sing with all of care. At about 50 seconds in, the drums come in mm. very sensibly. Very sensible, soft drums, yep. Scott Hammond is wearing a sensible pair of leather shoes and a waistcoat playing those drums. Yeah. The most notable part of the drums is hitting the stick on the, the rim of the snare, I think. Yeah. You, you hear that clock. But everything else is really soft and subtle. If Scott Hammond was driving an automobile in the way that he played those drums, he would be well within all local, state, and national driving regulations. Would he get honked at by other drivers for being 
too within those regulations? Or is he at a comfortable safe speed? I think he's at a comfortable safe speed. Everyone okay. probably gives you a little finger wave to let you know it's your time to go. Yeah. Go ahead of him. He's a thoughtful driver. Yeah. yeah. Is there any bass in this song? I tried to hear it. I'm not sure. You know, I suspect that there is in some form, but it didn't stick out to me either. I think that the piano is maybe playing some of those roles because I couldn't detect really any um, Joe Parrish either, at least not on the electric. Oh no, There's. I would be very shocked if there were electric in here. I did hear the acoustic all the way through. Maybe Joe's on acoustic. It could be. It's possible. He does play very well with Albion and some of the softer stuff, so I wouldn't be surprised. Or it could be Ian. It also could be Ian on his tiny guitar, his tiny man guitar. <laughs> Ian is doing some lovely little singing things in here. There's some really great moments where he is I'm trying to find the verse. My sister joins the happy throng to dance and sing with all who care to lie with her in so repose. Gold diam in golden hair. My sister joins the happy throng. To dance and sing with all who care To lie with her in self-propose Gold diadem and golden hair He's doing this riff mm -hmm. on some of the words where he's going, he's taking one vowel. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of an old white man version of what Mariah Carey is really famous for. They're adjacent, yeah. I get it. I get it. In the sense that it's a run of notes. Yes. Right, right, right. That he's separating out very distinctly. Breathily, yeah. But distinctly. Yeah. Yeah, they're there. They're there. That is not a terribly common thing in Tull by any means. And it's not a really easy thing to do, no matter what your voice is. Right. you got to have a lot of air control behind it. And Ian has very little air real estate nowadays anyway. So yeah, he's he's pushing it. And that's not like, that's not derogatory. I mean, I'm talking about the, the what's he have? The, the lung... C-O-P-C-S. Cops. C-O, no. C-O-P-D. C-P-D. C-P-D? No. C-O-P-D. C-O-P-D? Yeah. Yeah, because of Ian's C-O-P-D, he is working with... <laughs> Does he work for the Colorado Police Department? Is that what that is? <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Uh, yeah. But mm -hmm. even with that, he's singing really gorgeously, as you pointed out. Yeah. At about three minutes, kind of the bridge between the pink and the white, or the white and the pink, whichever comes first, we get a double flute action. Very control yourself. <laughs> we get some double flute. If you weren't listening for it, it could very easily have 
pass you by. It's very, very soft and subtle in there. It's one of those where I think they're playing practically the same thing. It's not like one's up and one's down and they're kind of intertwining. Yeah, right. It's not a harmony situation, yeah. It's just a duplicate of it. The last thing I would say is that also very subtle, if you're not listening for it, but those last two verses when Ian's kind of like rush singing, there's like an echo on his voice, like just the slightest reverb or something going on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very sparse. Which wasn't really there before. No. They change the settings when they make that switch. Yeah, it's, it's great. Definitely, yeah. I'm really excited to talk with this song in particular about that switch of tone. Mm-hmm. I really love the lyrics of the song, and I'm excited to talk about it in the second half. Only last thing I'll say musically is that I tried to count the time signature, failed miserably. At some points, I had increments of four. Why don't I take another quick listen to it? Yeah. See if I can suss it out. I very well could have been wrong. I can only count up to four, so... Got it. Bonkers. It's six, eight slash eight, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six. I am three, four, five, six. Very impressed that you can just pick that out. I couldn't at first. It took me but two you tries. did just now. You were just like, oh, yeah, that's what it is. Of course. I played in, in the wind ensemble in, uh, I know. in your wee days. Yeah. Yeah. Still very impressive. Well, thank you for how little I can do. You have other talents. Thanks, Dad. Nick, welcome to the halfway mark of the show. Here we are. We have some exciting things to talk about. That we do. Should we talk about correspondence first? Or, okay, you want to get the snark right away, okay. Yeah. All right, Omen, you go first. Sir, senses have reported another star in the sky. Dear God, that's... Is that only two stars? (laughs) How come you know better than me that this is not love? This is not love. We have a review. This immediately, as soon as you sent it to me, became one of my favorite reviews, not just of this podcast, but one of my favorite reviews that I have ever gotten for anything that I've ever done. I'm sorry to everyone who has written in with like the amazing five-star reviews that you've given us, but this takes the taco. I love it so much. I love it so, so much. And we're going to read it because that's what we do. Who wrote it? Let's put them on the pillory. Brooks. I feel like Brooks gave us a five-star at one point and has since changed it. Well, who knows? Salty. From the United States of America, which is actually very interesting. Title, Ian is probably embarrassed by these two. First of all, thank you so much for your supposition that Ian knows who we are. That's, I mean... That's flattering. That's very flattering. Yeah. I will read it exactly as it is written. There is several constants that these two do in their podcasts. 
most of it is asking for money. Yes, they keep hopping to rob unsuspecting dupes by telling them that they are greater fools our there. I would not pay a penny for this podcast, and you don't have to. The discussions, quote-unquote, amount to these two loving any comment and thoughtless one-word responses. They have painfully little to say about the richest songs and the ones they do speak at length. They do include some tall trivia, but they are more about gay sex jokes, which are really tiresome. <laughs> After a while, you get the impression they think Jethro Tull is for gays! Or maybe they're just too concerned about their gay viewers. Sometimes they are such drama queens, you wonder if they really like a song or not. They're afraid to voice any negative opinion or to hear anyone else do likewise. Podcasts like that are not really listening to, at least regularly. <laughs> I, I think two out of five is fair. First of all, Brux, thank you so much for writing in. You truly, I can't tell you how much you made my day. Uh, just uh, truly, and I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. That really filled my day with delight. I love that you took the time to write us a review. And you know what? If you value this podcast at two out of five stars, that's your opinion. That's totally valid. Thank you for that. I do want to know, though, who hurt you, Brooks? <laughs> Just in terms of the gay sex jokes, I, I mean, you know, I suppose we do make a lot of sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But that's sort of what we've always done as friends. And it's something that brings us joy. And if they make you uncomfortable... Go listen to the other Jethro Tull podcasts. I was going to say go a dick. Oh, okay. Because maybe there's something unresolved. You seem to be very focused on yeah. the gays. And, you know. Does the idea of people being gay make you uncomfortable? You know, there's room in this world for everyone. There's room in the tall community for all kinds of people. And we welcome you to listen to our podcast as frequently or as infrequently as you choose. And I will attempt to make the next gay sex joke that I make just for you. I was going to say, I'll make it, I'll try to make a straight sex joke. That's not very fun. We make plenty of straight sex jokes as well. Sure, exactly. Anyone can get in the ass. That's not gay. And we <laughs> also, we try to look for the positive in everything, whether it's gay sex or a Jethro Tull song. So, you know, I mean, if you want to hear people complain about Jethro Tull, go to YouTube. Tune in to our other podcast, Gobble Gay Sex to Me, where we rate and review every single sex act that has ever been performed by people of the same gender. Two consenting, same-gendered adults. Thank you for the two stars. We will add them to our collection. Um, Nick, what do you have to add to this tasty smorgasbord? So I was messaging back and forth with good old folky Phil. Folky Phil. On Patreon, we had a back and forth, and then he just, he happened to slip that he has interviewed Ian Anderson in the past. And I was like, but what? Please tell me this. Wow. So he writes back, and I, I just want to impart this because I thought this was a really cool set of anecdotes here. 
He says, I interviewed Mr. Anderson twice, but only by phone, sadly, or happily. Either way, I was a nervous wreck. Uh-huh. If I'd actually been in the same airspace with him, I might well have capsized and sunk entirely. A bit of a mixed metaphor there, but we'll <laughs> let it pass. We, we mix all sorts of things. My interviews were back in the dim and distant, ye gods, 25 to 30 years ago, when I was a young journalist with regional newspaper, The Lancashire Evening Post, on the live music beat, among many other things, covering gigs from across the northwest of England, including Manchester, Liverpool, and the tall heartland of Blackpool. Wow. One of the interviews was just prior to Tall playing their first hometown gig in many years. I honestly can't remember too much about what Ian said, but do recall that he was not exactly kind about the pool. His memories of the days of his youth spent there not being very rosy. Wow. Incidentally, members of the press used to be issued with a tall FAQ in an effort to avoid boring Ian with yet another asking of, where did the band's name come from yeah. and why did you start playing the flute? We were cordially invited to simply reprint the pre-written answers. Not a bad idea. That forced reporters to come up with something more original to ask. I wow. think I might have asked where he buys those amazing balloons for the end of every show and how long it takes him to blow them up. <laughs> I reckon I reckon that must be the key to his amazing breath control. He has a diaphragm of vulcanized rubber. When the moms finally land a face-to-zoom-to-face -to -face with Mr. A, I recommend talking about anything but music to begin with. Talk about trains, talk about cats, talk about his collections of mechanical watches, fountain pens, and vintage cameras. Only then, when he's loosened up, trap him into a lengthy discussion of compound time signatures, <laughs> open e-tunings, who would win in a fight between Thor and Jesus, and where the name of the band came from. <laughs> Folky Phil, thank you so much Amazing. for regaling us with that anecdote and that advice. Very worthwhile. I would love to talk with him about Robert Burns. Mm. Which means I have to read Robert Burns first. Yeah. All those like those little seeds and nuggets that he plants that we see like very barely coming into awareness in, in like a scattering of songs. Those are the ones that really interest me. Like this clearly means something to him. Yes. But it's so well known to him that he can just kind of casually throw in a reference and it doesn't matter who gets it. It's clearly an important reference to him. Well, and people always do that sort of thing with literature. You know, we noticed that reference to Tennyson, the something of burning daffodil, the, the something of mm. dancing daffodils, the, mm -hmm. the field of, that was a Tennyson reference. Yeah. And there's a long tradition of kind of hinting at liter literature hinting at the works of other people in yeah. such a way that the people in the know will get them and other people won't. Yeah, right. Right, because it helps that usually those references come across as delightfully poetic too. You know, Absolutely. So it, it kind of all works out. Yeah, exactly. Fokifield, that's so cool that you actually got to speak with the man, the founder of the feast on the phone. We hope to do that someday as well. And with you there to help us, then we probably will. Boom. Remember when I said, remember when we were talking about the host of Golden Daffodils and I was like, it's piss coming out of the <laughs> International Space Station. You were like, um, that's a valid interpretation, but maybe also not that. There's a lot of that in this podcast. Yeah, and it goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's like a double-headed... Nick McGill. Here we are on the other side of the Horn of Plenty. We are ready to dive in. 
Full disclosure, normally I do a bit of research about the subject of the song, but this weekend I was very busy snuggling my cat, spending time with my wife, and watching Into the Spider-Verse oh. in the cinema. And so, Nick, I would love to so ask you, who, yes, so oh my god, so, so good. good, so incredible, the animation, every single frame, like, just gorgeous. Nick, whom is this song about? This is about, according to Ian and his blurb before the piece itself, is Freyr and Freya. Oh. Freyr is the brother of Freya, popular god of the land and harvests, stands for wealth and peace. And Freya is the daughter of Njord, fertility, beauty, material possessions, party girl, promiscuous, seems identical with Frigg. So this is the first time, kind of, that we have a... We talked in The Feathered Consort about how Freya seems to have multiple personalities, mm -hmm. many different facets, more so than is usual for a god or goddess of that nature. Yeah. And we posited that she may have been an amalgam of a number of different local goddesses who, for convenience's sake and over the course of history, got amalgamized. Much in the same way that various gods of the Israelites got squished into Jehovah. It just makes it easier. You know, you only have to print one book instead of 30. It's like bundling your home and car insurance. There you go, yeah. yeah you get a discount when you put more gods together. Your internet and your your phone and your, your cable, all in yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. It's a discount. Order two for 50% off. There you go. Of one. <laughs> Buy one, get one half off. So we did talk about Freya in Feathered Consort. Freyr is sometimes anglicized as just Frey, F-R-E-Y. In the, the poetic and prose Edas, he is one of the Vanir. He, his twin sister is Freya. The gods gave him Alfheimer, the realm of the elves, as a teething present, apparently. Whoa. Yep. Uh, he rides the shining dwarf-made boar Guldenbursty and possesses the ship Skilblinjor, which always has a favorable breeze and can be folded together and carried in a pouch when it's not being used. Oh my god, I want that ship so bad. <laughs> He's also known to have been associated with the horse cult. He also kept sacred horses in his sanctuary at Trondheim. I've been to Trondheim. Did you go to his horse cult sanctuary? Then why did you go? <laughs> What's the point? One of my best friends lives in, near Trondheim. That's the big city near where he lives. But I forgot to ask him about the horse cult of Freyr. <laughs> let, me, let, me just, let me just text him real quick. I could, actually. And I will. I should. Uh, Trondheim connection. That's very interesting. And real quick, Njord. Njord. N-J-O-R-D. Sounds like a slur. Or like a mild insult. You Njord. Uh, was the god of the sea and wind. He came from Vanaheim and was part of the Vanir clan. He was considered the patriarch of the Vanir clan and led them in a war against the Aesir. Very interesting. I'm very, really quite curious about how these clans of gods ended up coming into existence, relating to each other. I wonder if, again, there was a geographical divide between... Mm some of this culture over here, some of this culture over here, each having their own ways and 
through the ages, maybe the story was interpreted as, oh yeah, well, they're from this clan of gods and they're from this clan of gods. Right. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's so interesting. That's, it's the only, I, and granted, I'm not well-versed, but it's the only pantheon I know that's like, has these really distinct clans of these people of the same power level, for lack of a better term. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is the Titans and the Greek gods. But they're more different than the Asir and the Vanir. Right, exactly. They're generational. They're completely different animals as opposed to these guys are just, these guys hate these guys and they're, they happen to be brothers. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. And yet they all kind of get along at times too. It's strange. So we have this twin set of gods yep. who in this particular song, we are looking at their role in supporting agriculture. Mm -hmm. The first two words of the song are the barley. What does the barley do? It grows and ripened, feeds the hungry souls who toil and sweat. The barley grows and ripened, feeds the hungry souls that toil and sweat. Now, barley is interesting. Of the podcasts that I listen to, one of them is called Boring Books for Bedtime. <laughs> And I love it so much, but it is sometimes, it is not as advertised because the books are actually very interesting. And one of the books that I listened to, the book is called On Bread, or The History of Bread, written in the late 1800s, and it was, as it sounds, a history of bread. It does exactly what it says on the tin. And as it was kind of detailing bread making and crop growing across Europe, and it was saying how, whereas in Southern Europe, you're able to grow wheat, as you go further and further north, as you go up to Norway, Wheat doesn't really grow. The only things that you can grow are rye and barley, and that makes for a very dense, mm. thick bread. Yeah, Latvian bread. Ray remembers Latvian bread. <laughs> it's like it's like a book. Yeah, it's just dark black molassesy. Yeah, book. It's delicious too, though. It's really good. I had some Norwegian bread when I was there, and it's very much like that. You sort of mm -hmm. slice it very thin, and you have it like a cracker almost, and it's yeah. very, very, very dense. Generally, you put something on it as well. Yes. Something fatty up in those areas, a cream cheese. There's a, a distinct Norwegian caramelized cheese. Ooh. Where you caramelize the milk before you make it into cheese, and so it's very, very dense, very oh, rich, a little bit sweet. That sounds amazing. It actually, a truckload of it caught fire in a tunnel and burned for like two weeks in a row. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a couple years ago. The fondue was uh, was killer, though. Everybody wow. just brought their bread and their Scoop. fruit. Yeah. Enjoy your fondue. So the barley grows and ripened, feeds the hungry souls who toil and sweat. Rod's well, a pretty straightforward description of agriculture. So barley and rye are just hardier. Is that really what ultimately what it is? They can handle the yeah the climate and the the soil. I think so. I think they maybe have shorter growing seasons. They're denser. Mm. Barley is what you make beer out of, right? Sometimes, I mean, if you make wheat beer, it's very very light, right? Yeah. They gather to give thanks and praise for wealth and peace. Repay the debt. They gather to give thanks and praise for wealth and peace. Repay the debt. What's the debt? The thanks for giving me these plants, giving me this food. Oh, yeah, the debt of life. Right, yeah. To live 
is to be indebted to that which keeps you alive. Right. Every ancient culture has a, a harvest festival thanking the gods and celebrating the, the harvest and celebrating life, Lahayim. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, I, I imagine it's the same thing here. It's the crops are in, we save some for our seeds, we save some for the winter, we enjoy what's rest, what is the rest, and even if it's a tiny little bit, we're still thankful for what we have. Because it means we can make it through the winter. Yeah. It's interesting this agricultural song in the midst of what we tend to think of as a warrior culture. Right. Obviously thinking of the entire history of the Nordic peoples as just the Vikings as they were experienced by, you know, people in the kind of broadsword context. Yeah. Is very reductive. <laughs> like, oh shit, it's the Vikings. Not, yeah, exactly. oh, look at that farm over there. Is that the Vikings? Right. Yeah. Speaking of barley and Norway and my friend Bendik, he told me that there was a law on the books that was only taken out in the last couple of decades that every farm of a certain size legally had to produce X number of barrels of beer every year. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Was it one of those that like just wasn't enforced? It just happened to be on the books or was it like all the way up to when it was stricken? I think for a long time it wasn't enforced, but I think for several hundred years it was enforced. Yeah. It was just like, hey, this is what we figured out we have to do to survive. Beer has a long shelf life, mm -hmm. easy to store. Preserving those calories. Very caloric. Yep. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I make for them a bounty to reward the pains of honest men. I ask only for their loyal faith in planting seeds to sprout again. I make for them a bounty. Yeah, so this is actually, I just realized this is from the point of view of Frere, because our yes. next line says, my sister. I didn't even realize that. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. So he is doing this. He is providing this bounty for these people. And in the first and the second, we have repay the debt and ask only for loyal faith. There's clearly an exchange here, but it's not like sacrifice your cattle. It's not the drastic kind of harsh transactional thing. It's It seems a lot lighter and gentler. And these guys must be Aesir to be so sweet compared to the Vanir, right? Even though their dad's a Vanir, which again, like doesn't matter who, who falls where, right? I was going to say the opposite. I My thought, my understanding was that the Aesir were... Oh, Odin, they're the warriors, Thor. right? Yeah, yeah. And I That's think right. that yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that is kind of the division. I think the the Asir are more that warrior clan, and maybe the Vanir are more the agricultural people, yeah. the the gentler side of fertility, love, yeah. motherhood, gay sex. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that spans both, let's be honest. <laughs> yes, can be very warlike. Mhm. Mm <laughs> but that's really interesting. And, you know, I mean, going back to our theory that this represents the division between geographical cultures, this could be as simple as the northern Nordic peoples and the southern Nordic peoples. In the south, right. you are able to grow a little bit more. In the north, you really do have to be more hunting and plundering. Mm, yeah, interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. We are not Norse culture experts. By far. It's pronounced Bifrost, Nick. Oh, 
Well done. Thank you. I, I'm glad you went with a Bifrost joke instead of a bisexual joke. Hey. I'm proud of you. Trying to expand my horizons. Yeah. My sister joins the happy throng to dance and sing with all who care to lie with her in so repose gold diadem in her golden hair. My sister joins the happy throng to dance and sing with all who care to lie with her in soft repose gold diadem in golden hair. What is a diadem? It's a it's like a tiara, basically. Hmm. So she also a god of the the wealth and fertility and beauty. In this version, in this moment. Yeah, right, right. Seems to be more hands-on, literally, with the people that who, who worship her. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that she's described in such sensual terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And of course, you know, every good agricultural festival is a fertility festival, and every good fertility festival has the sex. The capital T, capital S. Capital Tess. It reminds me of something that I heard, and I don't know if this is true or, or just a kind of my fantasy of the moment, but when you thresh grain, you know, the process of breaking the grain apart, breaking the wheat from the chafe, the chaff and all that. Mm. You put it in a big circle and you whack it. I think we talked about this at some point. Long time ago. I don't remember what song we were talking about, but yeah. Something about flails. But the action of the flail hitting the ground over and over and over and over and over again over the course of days actually heats up the ground. Mm -hmm. That impact, that friction heats the ground. And once you've cleared all the grain away, apparently that spot is the earth is still warm from that. Oh, yeah, I believe it, yeah. And one thing I heard is that that beaten circle is where theater started. That's where Thespis first stepped in and said, you know, as part of this agricultural festival, I'm going to tell you this hilarious story. People were like, we should do that more often. It's because he was cold and he didn't want to share the circle. So he pulled some bullshit out of his ass. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to tell you guys a, a story. He had chilly footsies. Everyone else is shivering and he's yeah. like really sitting comfortable. But I've heard that there's some connection between like literally warming up the earth like that. And there's like a, a symbolic or literal connection to sexuality and, oh, sure. and fertility in that moment. Right. Yeah. There is warmth and fertility and fecundity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can't grow crops in a cold soil. You know, the last line of that gold diadem and golden hair to me feels allegorical. Uh-huh. Yes. Is the gold diadem the barley in the chaff? I think it well could be. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was researching grazing, different the terminology of different grain structures. Hmm. And they have all kinds of fancy names based on the shape. Sometimes the grain kernels, the corn of the wheat or of the barley is triangular. It grows triangularly around the stalk. Sometimes it grows in a diamond pattern. Mm. So maybe this, I think that's a very, very good take on it. You know, this idea of this jewel right. is lying in the hair of this goddess. You can't eat a diamond. God knows I've tried. <laughs> it hasn't come out yet. You can smash up a diamond and put it in water with some yeast and Zales will be furious at you. I mean, if you buy it from them, they don't care what you do with it. Oh, that's the step I skipped. Yeah, you stole it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then we switch into Ian's gloss, and we have that... Really quick, 30 seconds, yeah. That distinct musical shift, which we love. 
Kind of takes us back to Happy Horses. Summer sounds of combine wheezing on the top fields by the lane, which winds down rutted tracks to sleepy barns, the drier for the grain. Summer sounds of combine wheezing on the top fields by the lane, which winds down rutted tracks to sleepy barns, the drier for the grain. I love how the ends of the phrases happen in the middle of the lines. Mm. I find that so freaking cool and so beautiful in terms of just poetry. I love it. Yeah, it's a perfect example of his manipulation of the scansion to fit, to audibly process it without seeing it. It's like, uh, what's, oh, okay, here we go. But, but seeing it, you're seeing exactly what he's doing. And it's still wonky, but it's awesome. Shakespeare does the same thing, especially the later into the plays that you get, plays that he wrote later in his life. Mm. In the first bunch of them, a lot of it is, I'm saying the phrase and now I'm done right here. And now I'm starting another thought and now it's done here. Yeah. Diddly, diddly, and it co corresponds with the iambic pentameter. Later on, he starts doing things where, you know, he has a thought that goes a line and a half and then starts a new thought in the middle. And it just, uh, it jazzifies it. Yeah. It jazzercises it. <laughs> I don't have a jazzercise joke to follow up that. My Shakespeare glutes are on fire and not just from the gay sex. <laughs> so we're looking at basically farm on the freeway almost kind of. I, I get the same feeling of that, you know, that same era. I think farm off the freeway. Farm off the freeway. Yeah. This is a working farm. This is not him having sold his farm. Yeah. The combine is the thing that pulls up all of the fruiting body of the plant. Combine harvester, whereas you used to have to go out with a sickle and then do threshing. This does right. it all in the same. You get the grain all there. Yep. On the top fields by the lane, which winds down rutted tracks. So already there, we're conjuring this idea of maybe not traditional agriculture, going back all the way to the way that they did it thousands of years ago, but not super, super modernized. You know, the fact that the tracks is rutted... The tracks is rutted. <laughs> Makes it sound like it's it's a dirt path almost. And they've been doing it for generations. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They bring it to the sleepy barns, the dryer for the grain. That elicits, that's a lot like what you were saying. Like, it's a quiet, it's a barn out in the country. It's not like this massive processing plant where they run it through silage and all that. Like, it's just whack it in the barn and let it sit for the season. You know, when I first read it, I thought the dryer, like an actual drying machine mm. for the grain, which I do think those exist, but this yeah. sounds, the way that this is written, it makes it sound, we're putting it in the barns because it's drier there. It is more dry. Oh. Mm, yeah. No, I get that. Mm. I get that. I think instead of it being a drying machine, the barn is the dryer. I agree. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of... John Barleycorn. Yeah, I can see that. A little bit. Kind of the process. We cut him down, we take him to the barn, we wrap him up, we let him dry out. Beat him. Beat him. Then drink him. The combine, I think, to the beating. Yeah. Maybe there's some beating later. If you're lucky. <laughs> Farmer's eyes fixed on the headlands, dazzled by the dipping sun. Farmer eyes fixed on the headlands, dazzled by the dipping sun. Oh my God, I love that. The eyes is on the headlands. Headlands is where the sea is, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Eyes dazzled by the dipping sun. That, it, you know, kind of shows us that this farmer is working all the way up until sundown. 
which is quite late in the summertime in England. And the fact that the sun is going so low, it's below the brim of the hat, and so it's dazzling the eyes. The headland is a coastal landform, a point of land usually high and often with a sheer drop. So it's basically a cliff leading to the water. So why is the farmer's eyes fixed on the headlands? Is it easier to stay in a line if you're not like concentrating specifically on the thing you're getting more of a broader picture? Oh, the farmer is spotting like he's doing ballet turns? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Could be that. Maybe he's got an eye on the weather. Also that, yeah. I gotta harvest all this grain before that storm comes in. I can feel it in my knee. <laughs> Farmer's eyes fixed on the headlands, dazzled by the dipping sun, which- Or he's watching the sun go down. He knows he has this much more time to continue harvesting today. Oh, once it's dark, he can't harvest anymore. Yeah. Which, the sun, lights the corners of her eyes. Whose eyes? The farmer's wife we lay as one. Which lights the corners of her eyes. The farmer's wife we lay as one. Now here's something interesting. Ian describes the farmer as a character. Mm -hmm. Then describes the farmer's wife. Third person, third person, first person. Is he is he stopping the farmer's wife? Are the fields not the only things getting plowed? Or straight sex joke. Or or is this still the first person from the first three? Is this like the first instance in this album where, where the god continues on, where the god is still there? And it's hard to justify to say Thor lives on in the online content creators. It's easier to say Freya and Freya live on in the farmer and his wife. Yeah. Are they the embodiment of those gods? Are they laying down... We ally as one, all, all four of us. What? <laughs> the, oh, Freya and Freyr? And the farmer and his wife. Yeah, okay, okay. It's like the Ben and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory where the grandparents yes, are just like lined up side by side. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Head to toe, yeah. I think that the fact that it's so open, that ending verse... The fact that it has that brief cutoff, it ends it with an air of mystery, which I mm. really like because it's appropriate. Whenever you're talking about the divine, it's unknowable right. on some level. Yeah. You can make assumptions and build ideas based on what's been laid out and what this God is and is for. But there's, there is always that level of mystery, you know, that we cannot comprehend. It's like the angels in the Bible that will just melt your eyeballs because we cannot comprehend them. And I think that if I'm getting a theme from this album, which I don't know that I am, I'm starting to get this idea of when we were on the Zealot Gene, you, you asked, what is the modern version of this story? Mm -hmm. I think this is something similar, but a little bit different. This album is a little bit like, here's this epic godhood that was so teeming with power that you know, nine worlds were created to house the complexity of this story. And now here's the trace of that divinity in an everyday moment. Right. And that has a connection that goes all the way back. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. Ooh. But that connection goes all the way back to the days of the Vikings and the days of the Norse Smiths. Yeah, when you boil it down, it's still the same thing. It's still a person needing this thing. Humanity hasn't changed that much. We just have fancier toys. We can do things 
faster and think we're very clever. But we still do have, like exactly like you said, we have the needs to be fed. We rely on the, on the fecundity uh, and fertility of the earth to sustain us, whether we remember that or not. Food and shelter, the basic human needs, yeah. We have the ability to betray each other as Loki did, or to go too far, as Loki did with Hodor. Mm -hmm. The same creatures that inspired the legend of Fenris live on in, the, in, in Charlie the ill-behaved Chihuahua who's barking outside my house right now. Terrifying. Fenris Charlie. Fen <laughs> Fenris the wolf Chihuahua. Fenris the Chihuahua dog. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Yeah, I feel like maybe, maybe we're starting to finally crack this very difficult nut. I think so. Yeah. I think if there had to be a thesis, that really f fits well. The censors say, don't say crack a nut. Don't crack, don't crack. Oh, oh, the censors say, don't say fits well. Yep. Okay. Got it. Okay. Got it. Yep. I just got that in. Anything else to say about cornucopia? The word literally translates to horn of plenty. It's the symbol of abundance and nourishment. It's that, that thing that you see on Thanksgiving decorations. That, yeah. that It's like that wicker horn with fruits and vegetables falling out of it. That is a cornucopia, and it, it means abundance and, and life and extra food and uh, successful farming. Yeah, horn of plenty. Literally, a copious corn. So that basket was actually a traditional pannier it's called, born in Western Asia and Europe to hold newly harvested food products. It's born on the back. Yeah, and fun fact, pannier just means basket. <gasps> it's a French-derived word. Oh. Nick, what are we listening to and then talking the tall about next week on this year podcast? Next week, it is track number 10. It is the last of the singles that we were granted prior to release. It is The Navigators. Until we navigate our way all the way to next week. I invite you to join the happy throng to dance and sing with all who care by joining our... I'm not asking for money. <laughs> it was totally... I'm not totally trying optional. to dupe anyone. <laughs> No, the thing is, the thing is, the podcast is free. It's great. We want everybody to listen to it who wants to. If you want the interaction with other Tullskulls, that's upkeep for us. We do this for fun, for free. And so if you want to give us $5, well, we're not going to stop you. And in addition to our not stopping you, you also get access to the Tall Skulls. You get access to our Discord. So cool. You get access to two additional podcasts, Feckless and Outtake Tall to Me. If you're the kind of person who likes being part of a community, which you may not be, and that's fine. That's fine. It is the reward for the pains of honest men. Until next week, I am the barley that grows. Nick McGill. I am... Down and rutted, Omen Thomas said. We are the hungry souls who toil and sweat, the feckless momes. And this is dazzled by the dipping sun. Talk tell to me. Hey, hey, Frey Frey! 
Hey, Frey, are you ready for this? Oh my gosh, let's open up the new season and see what awaits. Ooh, crack that date book. Here we go. <laughs> oh my okay. gosh, 2023 okay. Harvest. This is so exciting. <gasps> okay. Ooh, okay. We have a Bitter Melon Fiesta on mm -hmm, Thursday mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. 3 o'clock. Um, I can take that. I don't mind. Yeah, I don't think that's a big enough crop for both of us. So I think okay. if you take yeah. that, I'll head over to the Thompson's farm. Yes. I think it's the last of their asparagus. So they're oh. and and I know they want to be at the farmers market on on the weekend. So they really got to pull that in. So I, I I'll take that. I got a note. I just have this on a sticky note. Make sure you polish mm -hmm. their bell pepper. They didn't exactly plant it. Just a seed fell out from the cooking stuff, and it just landed on the ground, sprouted. It'll be a nice surprise for them. That's the best kind. Absolutely the best kind. Love so that. I Love see that. that we might be double booked on Friday morning. Oh, you're talking about the pearl onion and potato onion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I go, oh, oh, you know what? I have an idea. What? What, what do you got? After I lubricate the leaks, mm -hmm. I can swing by. I can shove the shallots over to Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. Shallots can wait. If you manage the Manchurian wild rice, mm -hmm. I can actually combine the pearl and the potato onions into one afternoon. It'll be a little bit tight, yeah. but that's what the coffee bean is grown for. Speaking of coffee bean, yeah. that it's, I think we kind of dropped the ball on that one. It's been kind of a small crop. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think we can coerce the coffee bean a little bit in Sumatra? Yeah. If we can maybe like pull some off hours and do that a little a little off the clock, I think we owe it to them. I was going to actually talk to you about that because, yeah. first of all, humanity, as you know, loves their coffee more and more every year. Exactly. We can't do anything about the coffee weevil, mm. but we can substitute. Okay, I have a genius idea. Give it to me. If we take the turmeric fields mm -hmm. and siphon off just a little bit of energy... Yep. Over to the coffee of Sumatra. The vegans in West Hollywood will be a little bit less uninflamed, okay. but the world will be more caffeinated. Isn't that really why we're here? I think you're onto something there. I think we can juggle it and it will balance itself out. Now, because of that overconsumption of coffee, I think we can pull back on the tea. I think we can pull back on the tea a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's great. I would rather honestly do pea than tea. Okay. Peanuts. And peas themselves, they're so hot this year. I saw it in Vogue. Pea protein is going crazy. Awesome. All we have to do is, yeah, we can put a little less attention to tea. You know, a lot of people don't even know how to make it anyway. Exactly. Oh, oh, and there's one thing. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that we missed this. What? I thought we had everything worked out. It looks like there's one crop that I'm not sure how we're going to do this. I don't have anything on my planner. What is this? Is this new? Yeah, it's a new one. You know, uh, they keep adding new things. It's a it's a pod crop. Mm, okay. It was classed with the pea pods, but it's actually it's actually a podcast. Oh yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. Okay, yeah. so this I mean, it's been eons since we've had something new to harvest. So I'm a I'm a little nervous. I'm not gonna lie. I like. Do we still have it? Do you remember when the fiddlehead fern first became a crop? The fiddlehead fern fiasco? The fiddlehead fen fiasco of the fens of the Fenris fens. I'm getting yeah. the same butterflies. Right, yeah. I'm getting broccoli butterflies. But, you know, we did nutmeg knock it out of the park, so it, we, can, we can do it, right? What if we say that the Tomato Talk Told Me mm -hmm. is a parsley proud member of the Fennel Feckless Momes 
audio nut work. 